we're live and it's june 12th and let's call it how it is yesterday was an absolute flush out bloodbath and we kind of saw it was coming when the market was opening uh, we said it was either going to be down 500 a thousand maybe 1500 i think it ended up being down like 1850 i had to close my laptop at about 2 p.m and just stop looking after i went on a buying spree because it just got so ugly but today looks like it's up for some sort of rebound. Hopefully it lasts, it's tough to tell. Looks like there's those speculation stocks that are going through the moon again, which I hate to see. But Bob, I'll throw it to you. What, what are you looking at? What are you seeing? Well, you know, when you look at what happened yesterday, it's so important if you're trading that you don't get uh, like a deer in headlights on a day like yesterday. You need to be doing something. So if you were buying yesterday, obviously the best time to buy was the last couple of minutes of the day. But, but you know, most people, if they were thinking of buying yesterday, spread it out a little bit. So you come in today and you have new positions. Maybe you added to old positions. Maybe you have new positions. You almost have to make a sale into this, either before the the opening or right after the opening. So at least you feel like you you got somewhere on your um, trading. Um, to come in today without even have buying, have, you know, if you did not buy anything yesterday, you're kind of in the, a deer in headlights again. The stocks are up, you don't wanna pay up. You don't wanna really short it because it's still not up enough. And that's why you need to be in action. You need to stay involved. So uh, yesterday I bought some Boeing. We talked about Boeing a little bit. I bought a couple of other names. I made a couple of sales pre-market. And now I feel like I could buy something again if the market comes in. If the market doesn't come in, you didn't sell everything from yesterday and you have your original positions. So you're gonna feel good. So real quick, you just said that you basically feel like you gotta, if you bought yesterday, sell some today. That yeah. tells me that you might be looking at this as just a little pop before it trends yeah. down even further. Is that your view well, right now? When you look when you look back on what happens after big moves, you're going to get this upswing, and then um, many times people sell into it, and you usually have another opportunity to buy in the next couple of days, whether it be later today or or Monday or Tuesday. So um, I'd be real surprised that the market just stays up here and goes higher. If it closed up where it is now, that would be a great day. But throughout the day, maybe it goes to only up a couple of hundred. It might go negative. I mean, there's no way to know. The point is you want to stay involved. Um, you got to be in motion. Otherwise, you can't trade. There's I got really aggressive at the end of the day yesterday, so I'm with you on I'll be selling this morning. I, I bought JPM when it dipped under 90. I think I got it at $97 and I bought more Duncan. I bought some Microsoft at the end of the day yesterday. I bought some Facebook. I bought some Boeing. I bought some Sabre. Um, I loaded up more Alcoa. So I'm definitely I, I'm pumped with the entry points because they've all gone up since where I bought them. Yeah, and, and Mike, if you took uh, what you bought yesterday and decided, okay, I'm going to sell half this morning, you're going to you know lock in some profits on what you bought yesterday, 
and that gives you ammunition to buy if the market goes down. If the market goes up from there, all right, you, you still have more than you started with yesterday and you made back some of what happened yesterday. Yeah, like JPM, for example, like I got in Slack, as I told you, Dan, for the first time. It dipped so much that I just figured, why not? But then like a JPM, I hate bank stocks. I've already made a few hundred dollars since end of day yesterday. I'm getting out of that in the morning. I can't stand owning those. So that but in saying that, like yesterday was also for our followers. We see how great these stocks are like Facebook and Microsoft long term. Facebook just brought back their head of product, Chris Cox, who was gone for the past year. It didn't really make headlines. That's major news. That guy is an absolute monster. Right after that news, I bought Facebook when it dipped under 225 uh, at briefly, luckily. And uh, that's something where I'm not going to sell off my Microsoft and Facebook I added to. When you have opportunities, when those types of stocks dip the way they did yesterday, pushing them. Because it's just long term. They're not going anywhere but up. So I'm with you, Dad, on stocks that you don't really love long term, maybe get in and out. But I think on those longer term holds, it's just good getting, you know, cushioning those positions on down days. Yeah. And look, it, it really de- it's completely determined by what your outlook is and what you're trying to do. Yesterday was a great uh, day to buy, you know, great solid companies and add to your long-term portfolio. Or if you're trading, you could still use stocks like JP Morgan, which might be in your long-term portfolio to trade around a position. Yeah. More you could sell what you bought. And yesterday you even said on here to that's a good day to add to the, what you called gorilla names, leaders in each industry. So Mike, it sounds like you did that. sounds like we all did that a little. Let me ask you dad, because I'm constantly just looking at the narrative on Twitter with people who are in the market and everyone tries to compare this to 2008 and try and compare the timeline to 2008. And what I keep telling myself is, as the years go on, everything happens faster. The moves happen faster, the information spreads quicker. So it's not crazy to think that what took 18 months in 2008 only took five weeks in 2020. And maybe in 10 years from now, a crash happens in one day and then the rebound starts. And I'm just curious like how you kind of compare this to 2008 as far as the rebound and the timeline. Yeah, well, I think the thing that's similar about 2008 and now now is that in 2008 uh, there was very little understanding of exactly what was wrong with the financial system it took months for people to kind of unravel the what was actually going on and um, it's kind of like the virus now where they're still trying to figure out everything about it that's about the only comparison i can make i think the market speed is about the same as 08 it might be a seconds different but for the most part the speed in the 08 is was you know as dramatic as it is now but how about individual investors aren't there way more now that have well, i'm sure i'm sure there are more individual investors now for a lot so dad what is that can you go over the impact of that psychologically when you have a lot more people with triggering you know like let's be real here's what's different about 08 dan in my opinion uber didn't exist back then so the on-demand economy where even now when we know we could day trade with our thumbs, quick moves, yeah. that wasn't the case back then. So how does that 
really, is there a big distinguishing factor there, dad, where that's influenced? Well, the biggest, the biggest difference is, I mean, there was a lot of retail trade back then also, but now commissions are zero. So people can go in and out with very small amounts of money and not get impacted by commission costs. If you're trading on a daily basis and you had to deal with commission costs, at the end of the year, when you added up all your commissions back then, even at seven, eight, ten dollars a share, you'd be amazed how it impacted your total. You know, oh, that, that's uh, it's phenomenal. They got rid of that. I mean, talk about a yeah. savings. You must be loving the comparison. Well, yeah, you can't even believe the difference. And if you think about it, if you kind of a lot of people have been comparing this to gambling, you have a vig in gambling that costs anywhere from uh, a few percent to 10 percent on any bet. And now you could bet on a stock and it's 50 50. Right. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people who were into gambling and. There, there are quite a few when you look at uh, what's been going on lately. Like Davy um, Day Trader. Yeah, I mean, it's a better bet than anything you could do in a casino. So, you know, there is that impact of it. But, you know, when you look at these little stocks that are moving up and down, this is just a wave of people going in and out together. And the moves are going to be more dramatic because of that. Reality will hit on both sides of it because the value of these companies at the end of the day is going to be what determines where they trade in the short term. Now, Dad, take, like when you had yeah, the VIX, Dan, it's pretty well, interesting you brought that up. Is that spiked again today? Well, no. What, the reason I bring it up is because I've been, this is one of the things I've been monitoring. And at the end of the day, when the VIX is high, it normally is a good time to buy. And if you just look historically, the VIX is really, really high right now. Obviously. When the VIX is high, it's a good time to buy. Isn't that when the volatility is striking the most? Yeah. Go ahead, Dad. Yeah, yeah. the VIX, you know, you would think it's just based on volatility, which technically it is, but it really measures um, when people are frightened and selling. The VIX goes higher when uh, selling is immense, like yesterday. So you'll see the volatility go up tremendously on a day like yesterday. If the market was up 1800 today, like it was down yesterday, that VIX would go way down, even though the volatility seems the same. So it should probably be named something other than volatility, but it is true. And when that index gets below 20, things are pretty stable and um, comfortable. And as it goes higher and higher, it becomes more of a buy signal uh, because it usually doesn't stay in those high levels for long. Yeah. When you say a buy signal, or it, it means also it's triggering a lot of movements, right? Not necessarily a buy signal. Well, doesn't when it that gets, mean things are getting choppy. Well, it is choppy, but it's already been chopped. <laughs> when it gets up into the 30s, 40s, sometimes you'll see it into it the 50s. A few months yeah. ago. Yeah. You could. Get, almost guarantee by looking back in time that if you bought any time when the volatility was 50 or 60 and you sat back and waited, you would make a lot of money. Yeah. You could almost say the same thing though, of when the volatility is looking at this chart, really anything above about 20. So you over look time. What'd you say? Over time. Yeah. But if you buy when it's just over 20, you could get burned hard short term because 
it may go up to 50 or 60 during that time frame and the market could drop thousands of points and so you might be right, you might be right eventually and that's but, really the big question is whether or not we've already seen the bottoms in March or whether or not, you know, as soon as everybody started to get more bullish thing that the bottoms in, we're seeing a B shape. That's when you start to question if it's true. I'll tell you one thing that I've been kind of monitoring is, so there's this S and P oscillator that's been out for about 35 years and it measures how overbought or oversold the market is. And it's very, very accurate all the time. And before what happened yesterday, there's only one time in history that the S&P has been as overbought as it was leading up to yesterday. And that was actually after the 2008 crash in 2009. And it ended up being followed by a day similar to yesterday, but that also marked the beginning of the decade long bull run. So essentially you would normally think when the S and P oscillator shows that the market's overbought, that's a bad thing. But when it gets this overbought, his, history shows it's actually a good thing after it sees that little correction that we saw yesterday. So again, who knows what happens from here, but I will the say the roaring twenties happen from here, Dan. We're gonna be doubling the stock market for decades. <laughs> that's what's happening. Uh, well, that's that's kind of what I'm getting at. Is if you do try and compare this to 2008 and 2009, there's two things. One, I think five or six. Like if you look at the top 50 stock market corrections of all time, six of them happened this year. Six of them happened in 2008. It's about the same. So like right now, everything that's been happening throughout the last few months is very similar to everything that was happening in 2008, where you have these massive swings. And if history does repeat itself, we all know 2008 was followed by one heck of a bull run that led us all the way really up until this virus. Yeah, I think we'll be getting to 60,000, the Dow this decade. That's my prediction. By the end of this decade, we'll be there. But, you know, again, you, you got to keep in mind on a day to day basis, you could feel like, like the world's coming to an end like yesterday. And well, that's then, when you're jumping in the volcano, right? When the world's coming to an end, you might as well be there to see it through because it's the it's a win win. If it's coming to an end, we won't know anyway. So <laughs> that that's why I love those days because I'm like, oh, shit, I want to jump off a bridge. I need to buy stock. Yeah, that's why I was so aggressive yesterday. I felt like shit doing it. That's why I knew it was good buying times. Yeah, it's very difficult to do that. And today, everyone's feeling like they could breathe. And that's why you know, I'm selling. You can't get complacent. Yeah. Dad, did, did it give you a certain level of confidence that the S&P seemed to hold that 3,000 level yeah. below yeah. it for about a second and quickly jumped above it? Did it you see that? It went drop below for a millisecond. Which it shows that that maybe is a serious level of resistance for the market. And, you know, I think it broke right through the level of resistance before that. And I think what a lot of the bears were saying on the way up was you need to come down a little to, you know, have a real market. You can't just go in a straight line up. So I also think we weeded out a lot of people yesterday, Dan, with that, how bad the market was, where. You know, there's probably some people hesitant now to just jump back in the way they were the last couple of weeks. Well, yeah, that's what scares me is you almost need another day like 
yesterday to really make people like, oh, I don't want to mess with this market anymore. But at the same time, that's what happened in March. So all these new people that are now just in the market, you know, they might not truly get burned for years because they just missed the real burning that happened in March. Or they got burned yesterday and they're broke. Yeah, but you know what they've learned from these uh, March situations and past experience is you buy the dips and uh, you know, March basically told people that was not a bad strategy to do that. So we'll have to see um, if they'll do that again, but What's I think the, they, they will. What? what are the futures doing as we speak right now? Uh, well, the Dow is showing up 600, so the futures are up about 550 on that. That's pretty massive. Bob, You're one of these days you're going to learn to put the phone on silent during these hangs. Yeah, I get, you got to show me how to do I think that. that would be entertaining. <laughs> what, to get Peter on here? Yeah, definitely. We should bring him on one morning, go over one of his four simple stocks that go through the moon every three years. Peter Tashman is the one who introduced the world to plug, for those of you who don't know, and SSNI, which was a big acquisition, and Campus. To this day, that's my I'm going to get my computer charger. SSNI. I'll be right back, guys. It introduced me to very warm feelings in the market. Dad, whatever happened to those guys? Who's that? I'm sorry. I didn't SSNI. Hear to this day, it's the most money I've made on a stock. You know, the, the, those happen once in a while, but you don't get them too often. When's the next one coming? Who knows when the next one It has one to be a four-letter name, though. That's what I've realized. There's something about four-letter names and rocket ships. <laughs> Plug, SSNI, Camp. I mean, you know. So are there is there a specific sector that either of you guys are looking at today? I mean, you said you're looking to possibly take some profits in the morning just off the trades you made yesterday. I know I'm you're- I'm like in the tech sector, Dan. I, I think like- when you oh, look at, I, I know I bought some Facebook again yesterday and some Microsoft, but I think those stocks, I know they acted so well during the unknown times, they held everything together. But I, I think now they have more room to run now that so, things are getting back. And I'm, I'm looking at Facebook as I think they're about to go on such a tear. If you look at their charts, they're right now trading around where they were back in February. So... I'm kind of looking at that company. They are just so set up to win big with video and where they're heading now. I think we're going to start hearing way more about augmented and virtual reality, which they have a stranglehold on, not to mention WhatsApp monetizing. So I, I think Facebook is a great buy here. I'm expecting this to be reaching all new highs later in the summer. Yeah, it's interesting because one of the things I like to look at on a day like yesterday and it ended up not really holding up because it just turned into an all out flush out. But it was interesting to see the names that were kind of holding up at the beginning of the day when the market was down about 1500 points. And I looked at those names and I thought to myself, these are the names you want to be in. If these names are somehow staying positive on a flush out day. And again, they ended up turning red. But the ones that were positive early on, which were kind of these stocks that we're talking about, the Microsofts of the world, Facebook, kind of like the stay-at-home stocks. Too. How about Teladoc? I saw that was strong yesterday in the early day. I don't. Yeah, I don't own any. I don't own any Teladoc. I don't either. But this could be a good opportunity for them when you think about the older demographics being afraid of flying until there's a vaccine 
and what they're going to be doing. We talked about it off air a bit. I, I think, can you look them up, TDOC? Sure. Well, I looked that be- up. A couple of stocks that I bought yesterday, I added to most of my positions, but new positions I took on, Bristol Myers and Dow DuPont were two new positions that I took on, and I feel pretty good about them. Here is Teladoc. This is the one-year chart. I mean, you know, it looks like it could be possibly poised for another breakout. Just I think it is. I, I think their narrative, it's been expedited, their model on a whole nother level with where the world's heading. And I think when we know being in the delivery business, you have to imagine there's going to be a partnership in this space to connect virtual medicine with that. For example, you're on with your doctor on a trip in Montana you're able to get your medicine delivered geographically, geolocated wherever you are. So mm-hmm. I look at this company as really a, a major winner with where the world's heading with healthcare. Yeah. And um, another one that's interesting that I just want to bring up. So Kroger was the only stock in the entire S&P 500 that was up yesterday. And that just like, I don't know why maybe there's something going on behind the scenes but that to me was just interesting to say this is the chart i'm pulling it up right now is amazon buying them or something who knows what's going on but i i just i thought that was really interesting obviously they have a one-year chart that looks you like know, the, those kind of names i mean if you looked at i'm sure uh procter and gamble um kroger verizon any of the defensive natured stocks are the ones that people go to to hide. And uh, I think that's why they did better yesterday. I will say though, to add to that, there was not much hiding going on. Like Costco started the day up, ended up being down. Um, I mean, Depot got crushed yesterday. Talk about a good buying opportunity. That didn't make much sense to me. If you look at the Dow 30, the high percentage losers yesterday versus the the least, you'll see the defensive nature of the the best performing stocks yesterday by far. Um, And Danny, you're right, Apple, Microsoft almost looked like they were gonna be up yesterday after the market opened. Uh, They were acting real well. Uh, One of the things that I believe happened there was there was so much margin selling and people go to the names in their portfolios that they easily could sell off with good profits, you know, to, to get rid of their margin situation. Which unfortunately, yeah, which is just so not the way to do it. If you're forced to sell a position, the last thing you want to do is sell a winning position. And we went over that yesterday. If you're playing margins, make sure you're not dishing off winning long-term bets. It just makes no sense. But psychologically, that's what people do. That is what, yeah, that's psychologically what people do. If you do sell losing positions, you get to, you know, take those losses and put them up against your gains, and then you're going to end up paying lower taxes on it. So it, it, it makes so much sense for so many reasons. Loser stocks usually continue to be losers. Winner stocks continue to be winners. Why would you sell something that's working and keep something that's not in hopes that what's not is just going to someday turn around? It's almost like an ego thing. You don't want to take a loss on anything. And then you end up just screwing yourself at the end of the year with taxes. I think it is an ego thing a lot of the times. I think people also get attached to certain names. 
where they just want to just hold on to something maybe too long. You know, it's psychology. Yeah, I will say I had some people yesterday texting me, like asking about put options. And just so people know, I'm not, I haven't really been doing that game as much as I used to leading up to this point. But yesterday was a great day, if you're into that, to sell put options in the money, which means get a strike price that's five, six, even 10% higher than where the stock was yesterday for, let's say, a month out. And that would have paid a massive premium. And then on a day like today, you could even close it right out because you'll see a big jump because the stock market's going to be up. And that's the game with put options. And even some other people that were talking about call options, the best way to play it is don't wait for the expiration date. Trade in and out. There's no reason to wait. And the long-term options are great, Dan. The premium you can get on a really bad day in the market on doing a long-term option we're talking anywhere from three to 12 months out. The premium's insane when you look the next couple of days when the market bounces back a bit, cash out of that. Because the time value, you can't beat that. Dan and I have had a lot of success the last few years playing that game. I'm gonna so, pull up an example here just so people could see what I'm even talking about. So Zillow like, would be a good example. They, I'm just gonna pull up Shopify because all I'm really looking to do is show what I'm even talking about here. So if you were to pull up a put option and you go to sell and then you have this expiration date, let's just say you go out to October and right here, let's say you want to think that it's going to get back to the real promised land, let's say 880, which means it's just going on a massive run. This looks like it's paying an $170 premium. And what that basically means is if the stock, closes below 880 on October 16th, you're buying the stock at 710. And it's because it's 180 subtracted by the 170. So let's say on October, if Shopify is trading at 800, you're buying the stock, but you already have a $90 profit on your shares because you're buying the stock at 710. The downside is, is if Shopify really goes into some volatility and let's say the stock goes down to 400 you're still buying that stock at 710 and then all of a sudden you're down 290 dollars per share and it's a real bloodbath you can get out of it at any time so if you were to do this now and in a month from now shopify's at 810 you're going to be up massively on the option and then you get out and that, that's yeah. kind of how that works. Each contract, when it says one right here, that means 100 shares. That's a limited, that's the limited amount you could do. So normally, if you're going to do it, you want to set your limit. You don't want to let the market decide. But just for shits, I'm going to click the market. And you see right here, just one option would pay $19,939. You get that money immediately. That money immediately hits your account. And then you have the option that shows as negative until it works its way back to zero. And that, that's the game with the options again. And I, when you look at that, that's basically a $5,000 a month return on your money. And naturally, you know, it's, it's one of those things, like Dan said, it's risky when you're playing that game, but the beauty of longer term options, you're not committed to sticking with it. So it gives you time, even like, for example, I did a terrible time Delta move right after Warren Buffett reloaded into Delta a few months ago before shit hit the fan. And I, I timed it poorly, but it's with the rebound. I know they've given back a little this week. I still can hit that because the option doesn't expire till January. So there's an advantage 
it's a bit riskier, in my opinion, doing very short-term options because if things go the other way, you don't really have time to fix it. Yeah, and usually the best time to do these is on a day like yesterday or after a big uh, extended fall in the stock market. If you uh, recall a, a couple of months ago, they interviewed Mark Cuban on CNBC and they said, what are you doing in the market? And he says, I'm doing some selling of puts. He's doing exactly this because that's a way to buy these stocks even lower when the market's down. And yeah, and it takes away some. If you're going to just go in and buy the market, this gives you an added cushion. And if you have the money set aside, then you're basically buying the stock at a lower price by doing this. It and also for everyone, when you do do that, the best way, words of wisdom, is not cashing out the premium. Reinvest it. That's that's the best angle there because I've talked to some people that are like, oh, that's great. I'll just cash out the premium. That kind of defeats the purpose. I get well, it if you need some extra income, but that's where it gets dangerous. If yeah, you really want to optimize your returns, reinvest that in dominant stocks. Yeah, it all depends what everyone's goal is. The last thing I'll say about that, the reason I love selling puts as opposed to buying call options, which I know a lot of people do, is buying call options, You're it's, it's essentially a gamble. You're hoping things work out. When you sell a put, you have exposure to the stock. Whether or not you want to get in is up to you, but you're you're buying the stock. So if you are in a position where you know, you're making solid money in life and you know that you have a steady income and you know that in three months from now, you'll be able to continue to buy more stock. It's a nice way to get paid premiums to be committed to buying stock. And I know I showed an example of in the money, but right here I have pulled up not in the money where I have a $600 strike price with a $41 premium. So if it traded below 600 on October, you'd be buying the stock at $559 and you're getting paid $4,700 to commit to buying the stock. And that's at a 20% lower than it's at now. Yeah, that's what I was just saying. So it's a, it's an interesting strategy. It's why I've always loved it. And it's really helped me build up a, a big base in the market over the last four years. So that's it. We, uh, we're we done here. Let's do trades of the day. Dad, you got one? Well, I think this is the kind of day, like we talked about before, that it depends what you did yesterday. I would not buy anything on the opening. It may be right, but it doesn't feel that way right now. I would wait a few hours, maybe, you know, by lunchtime, see what's going on in the market. And I would stick with the same names that uh, we've been talking about before. Alcoa, Boeing, um, you know, Sabre, uh, you know, JP Morgan, and Chevron if you want to play an oil stock. But those are the I names. I added to that yesterday. With. Okay. I'm, uh, I'm looking at Zillow today. I, I th I'm going to monitor to see how the first couple hours I, I got back in that position when it dipped under 56 yesterday. And I, I think that that's, you know, they recently got an upgrade target to $80. I think Zillow is a very short-term volatile stock. You take advantage of it on the down days. So I'm looking at adding to my Zillow position based on how the first couple hours act. One thing to note that I wanted to mention is there was a Big uh, downgrade upgrade on uh, Tesla and General Motors, Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley, both making the call, sell Tesla by GM. So, so is it time to buy Tesla? 
Probably. <laughs> yeah, I, I looked at that and I immediately thought, you know what, it's time to buy Tesla. Dan's computer got rebooted, so he's off. But uh, everyone have a great weekend. Let's make some money here and end the week in the green. Take care. Boom, baby.